So uh, here at CRPC, we, because of our high view of the Bible, we believe in and we practice expository preaching, which is preaching that exposes what the Bible teaches. So we can do that in various ways. You can do expository preaching by going all the way through a book of the Bible, like we've done with the Gospel of John and we've done with other books. Ephesians and Genesis and so forth. Or you can do expository preaching by demonstrating what the Bible teaches on a given topic. So, for example, you could preach an expository sermon on, for example, with it being Father's Day, fatherhood. Or you could do an expository sermon on the relationship between church and state or something like that. But so long as you are exposing what the Bible teaches, rather than obscuring what the Bible teaches, or abandoning what the Bible teaches, or deviating from what the Bible teaches, or doing something else altogether, you, you get the sense in some churches that the Bible really has nothing to do with what's going on whatsoever. So long as you are exposing what the Bible teaches, you may call it expository preaching, or expository preaching, if you will. And I mention that because there are three things about the Bible which are latent in our text this morning that I aim to draw your attention to. There are three things latent in this text, these two verses that I just read for you, John 21, verses 24 and 25, which I intend to expose for you this morning. And... The first one might get me in a little hot water, which is why I make the point that I'm exposing what the Bible says. So if you have a problem here, you have a problem with John, tell me. All right, listen. You are, you are, well, yeah, the other John. The more important John. The, the uh, author who is never wrong because of the inspiration of God's uh, spirit. You're familiar with the saying, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If I can put it this way, the first thing which is latent in this text, which I would like to expose to you, is this. The Bible does not contain the whole truth. Now, before anyone walks out, or, or calls for the... Or calls for the termination of my employment on the basis that I've gone theologically liberal. Look, look at verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John himself explicitly tells us, that there are many things which Jesus did which are not written down in Scripture. Of course, there must also be many things which Jesus would have said which were not written down either. I didn't take the time this week to count myself firsthand how many words of Jesus we have recorded for us in the Scripture. And a Google search yielded wildly different results, anywhere from like one or two thousand up to like around thirty thousand words of Jesus, which is quite a variation. If you would like this week, you could count and let me know. But, but look, the average person speaks somewhere between five to 7,000 words a day. So if we go with the higher end of that spectrum, 30,000, 
That means we have the words of like four or five days worth of speech of Jesus recorded for us in the Bible. Which means unless Jesus was extremely, extremely reserved and quiet, except for when he was teaching the things recorded for us in Scripture. What it means is we have actually a very, very small section of the things that Jesus said written down for us in Scripture. So there are many other things which Jesus did, and there are many other things which Jesus said, which are not recorded for us in the Scripture. Now, here are a couple of important questions for us to consider. Did the other things which Jesus did, which are not written down for us, really happen? Well, of course, the answer to that is yes. It's a tautology, actually. Whatever happened, happened. Whatever Jesus did, Jesus did. Right? Now, were the other things that Jesus said, which are not written down for us in Scripture, really true? Again, of course, we have to say, yes, obviously, whatever Jesus would have said, even if it's not recorded for us in Scripture, was really true. Unless someone is prepared to argue that Jesus was not infallible in his speech, which I, as a theological conservative, am not prepared to do. Nor should anyone else argue that Jesus could make mistakes in his speech if they believe in the identity of Jesus as the eternal Son of God. And certainly if you are someone who has come to believe in the infallibility of Holy Scripture, certainly you should believe in the infallibility of the Son of God. Why believe in the infallibility of that which the Spirit says through the Scriptures and not believe in the infallibility of what the eternal Son of God says? So what we are left with is the obvious logical conclusion that there are real historical actions and sayings of Jesus which are not in the Bible. So the Bible... Right? If I can say it this way, it's not the whole truth. It's not a comprehensive picture, even of the historical man, Jesus, let alone the eternal Son of God throughout all of eternity. Of course, this does not mean that any Tom, Dick, and Harry who claims to possess some lost information about Jesus is telling the truth. This does not automatically validate any claim to extra-biblical information about Jesus. It doesn't mean that you should start watching the documentaries that are on late at night about, you know, this obscure writing about Jesus or, or uh, what some fellow who uh, studies UFOs in his spare time has learned about Jesus through some Gnostic sources and so on and so forth. There are many things that Jesus did and said which are not in the Bible. Likewise, there are many other true things which are not in the Bible. Truth is simply that which corresponds to reality. And there are many other realities which are not revealed to us in the Bible. 
For example, it is possible to design and manufacture an electric car. Many auto companies have done it. But that body of truth is not even touched on in the Bible. Likewise, for another example, whatever, whatever the truth may in fact be about proper diet and nutrition, and obviously opinions vary and abound, there is in fact truth about good diet and nutrition. It's, it's not like, take for example, I think we can all agree that fruits and vegetables are generally healthy, am I right? Potato chips and cake are generally, right? Whatever the, whatever the varying specifics might be, right? We can recognize that it's not, it's not relative what one person says about nutrition or what one person, another person says about nutrition, that there actually are truths and facts about what nourishes the body best, right? So we must understand, therefore, that the Bible contains a subset of all total truth. In simpler terms, the Bible contains only a portion of all the total truth that's out there. But that being said, and referring back to the well-known quote that I mentioned a few moments ago, though the Bible is not the whole truth, nevertheless, the Bible is the truth and nothing but the truth. This is the second thing I want to expose you to in our text this morning. See it in verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. As I mentioned when I preached on the appearance of Jesus to Thomas after the resurrection in John chapter 20, it is reasonable and we are expected to believe credible secondhand information. And even at the human level, that's at least what John's gospel is. There were multiple witnesses to the actions and sayings which are recorded for us in John's gospel. And these witnesses were willing to die for the affirmation of the record that we have here, of the deeds and the sayings of Jesus. That's a compelling case in itself for the truth value of John's gospel. But more than that, I personally and we at CRBC and many others have come to believe what the scripture claims for itself. Namely, that all scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Though there were human authors utilized in the writing. They wrote, as our children's catechism says, as men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. Paul commands the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, for accepting the word of God, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And we believe that that is indeed what the Bible is, of which John's Gospel is just one out of 66, divinely inspired, God-breathed. Sorry, I forgot how I started that sentence, so I'm not sure grammatically how to finish it, but you understand what I'm saying. 
John's Gospel is one out of 66 books, which are God-breathed, which are the Word of God. And so even though men wrote, like John, or Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or Paul, or whoever else, Jeremiah, Moses, we recognize that these were men who were taught by the Holy Spirit, who wrote down for us, recorded for us, the very words of God. And so we ought to receive it as the Thessalonians did, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Now as such, as the word of God, it is the truth. For as Hebrews 6 tells us, it is impossible for God to lie. And it is nothing but the truth. For as Jesus himself teaches us in John or in Matthew chapter 5 rather not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished now what a, now what a dot and what an iota were were just a small little portion of a character right a little little portion of a letter so Jesus view of what scripture is is not merely that it contains truth but that every pen stroke is truth. And that not even a dot, not even an iota, can be neglected. Not even a dot, not even an iota can be minimized as unimportant. Every pen stroke is God-breathed. And therefore, the Bible is the truth and nothing but the truth. So to summarize what's been said so far, every truth is in the Bible. Or, or pardon me, to summarize what's been said so far, not every truth is in the Bible. But the Bible itself is truth. And nothing but the truth. We see both of these assertions explicitly in this text, which means that they are stated plainly and directly. What John has written is true. That's in verse 24. But there are many other true things which have never been written down in the Bible. That's in verse 25. The third thing that I want to expose you to in this text is implicit. Which means that it is not stated plainly and directly, but is an inference from the text. And here it is. The Bible is necessary for our salvation. The Bible is necessary for our salvation. Our confession of faith says this, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will, which is necessary unto salvation. In other words, though we may learn true things outside the Bible, like how to build an electric car, 
or what foods to ingest and what foods to avoid. There are nevertheless some things which are necessary for our salvation, which are only revealed in the God-breathed writings. If I can take this a step further, though we may learn true things about God outside the Bible, as for example, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 tells us that we may learn about God's eternal power and divine nature in the things that have been made so that even people that don't have the Bible are without excuse. Though we may learn true things even about God outside the Bible, there are nevertheless some things about God which are necessary for our salvation, which are only revealed in the God-breathed writings. And this is why John bothers to write he told us explicitly in chapter 20 and verse 31 that he wrote, So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But it is implicit, it's explicit in chapter 20, verse 31, but it's implicit here in John 21, 24, and 25 also which we're looking at here this morning, John acknowledges that there are many things that he has not written. He acknowledges that he has been selective in what he has written, but it's obvious that he's concerned that we believe the truth of what he has written, of what he has written. Why? Because it's necessary. Remember that John has told us in chapter 3 of his gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John has told us two verses later, in John chapter 3 and verse 18, that whoever, belie whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. So in John's writings, which remember are by are God breathed. In John's writings, which remember are God breathed, people are by default. People are by default in a condemned state until such a time as they come to believe in Jesus. Now who will be able to understand from nature or from philosophy or whatever other mode of gaining knowledge who will be able to understand from whatever other mode of gaining knowledge that God so loved the world that He gave 
His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, that knowledge is not available in general revelation. That knowledge comes to us by special revelation from God. God revealed that to the human race. Not by general revelation, by somehow embedding it in some secret code in creation or something like this. But by inspiring John to write John 3.16. This special revelation, which goes beyond general revelation, is what John's gospel is. And that's what the whole Bible is, of which John's gospel is just a part. Search your science textbooks. Search your philosophy textbooks. Take an observational approach to learning. If you want to go and figure things out firsthand rather than going and reading it in some book, go sit outside for a long time and watch the world go around. Go put whatever you want under the microscope. Go, go put whatever you want in the telescope. Look at really small things. Look at really big things. Study how pressure and time and wind and various factors and the, the composition of physical things at the molecular level works. Go study all of these things for the rest of your life and you will never discern by that process that in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1. Go and do all that and you will never discern that there is a Holy Spirit. To say nothing of the fact that the Word is He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Still in John chapter 1. You will never discern that there is a Father still in heaven. Even though the Word has become flesh, that He is zealous for pure worship. John chapter 2. You will never discern that there is a thing called being born again. A radical inward change without which you will be blind to spiritual things. John chapter 3. You will never discern anywhere else that Jesus is able to give you water which will make you never thirst again. John chapter 4. You will never discern by any other means that Jesus cares not just for our souls but also for our bodies and that he manifests Manifested while he was on this earth, that compassion by making a lame man walk. John chapter 5. 
You'll never discern that the Son on earth is equal to the Father in heaven. Still, John chapter 5. That Jesus is the bread of life of whom we may eat and live. You would never be able to discern that the Spirit will affect such inward change and renewal in the lives of those who receive Him, such that they can be considered as springs of water welling up in them. Their own private fountain, as it were. John chapter 7. You would never be able to just discern that Jesus of Nazareth is light in the darkness. The light of the world. That Jesus gives sight to the blind. John chapter 8 and 9. That Jesus is a good shepherd who cares so much for his sheep that he lays down his life for them. You'll never be able to discern that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11. That Jesus is not a Johnny-come-lately, but was prophesied for thousands of years before he actually entered the world. And is the long-expected son of David, John chapter 12. That Jesus came to serve those who by rights really should have served him. John 13. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. John chapter 14. That Jesus is a vine which nourishes whatever is connected to it. And that we are branches which can do nothing unless we are connected to Jesus. John chapter 15. That Jesus' departure is actually advantageous to God's people because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that therefore the Holy Spirit is not inferior to Jesus, but co-equal with He and His Father. John chapter 16. That Jesus intercedes for His people. John chapter 17. That Jesus is the King of a kingdom which runs parallel and concurrent to all of the other kingdoms of this world right now, but which is of a different nature. John chapter 18. That Jesus is a substitutionary sacrifice like the animal sacrifices of the ancient Jews who would die in the place of guilty people. John chapter 19. That Jesus rose from the dead. John chapter 20. That Jesus forgives people who have sinned against him. John chapter 21. Now I'm not, I'm not talking about a world in which you maybe live in an impoverished place. When I was in Malawi, some of the pastors didn't even have Bibles. You heard that right. Some of the pastors didn't even have Bibles. I'm not talking about a world in which you grew up maybe in an atheistic country where Bibles are banned and outlawed and you get only some fragment of the Bible here or there. I'm not denying that someone else can tell you about the things that are in the Bible and by someone else telling you, you can know. I'm talking about a world without Bibles. I'm talking about a world without special revelation. 
I'm talking about a world where God didn't go any further than simply giving us general revelation, which people like Elon Musk are tapping into to build electric cars. Where there was no further revelation from God than what we can just discern by observing the world around us, by putting our heads together. You would never be able to discern all of the things that are loaded, even just into John's gospel. And as you, as you heard, I just, I just briefly reviewed like three years of preaching. Right? That's like the most cursory, superficial flyover of John's gospel, what I just did. Just pick like a sentence from every chapter. And even just those precious truths, which we take for granted, none of you would know if it wasn't for special revelation. <clears throat> Search your science textbooks, your philosophy textbooks. Take an observational approach and sit outside and watch the world go around. Take notes. And you will never discern those things that I just mentioned to you. You need the truth that is revealed in the Bible in order to believe savingly in Jesus. There is no salvation by the truth that we find outside of special revelation. Science can tell us true things. Philosophy can tell us true things. But you will not be saved by what you learn through philosophy. You will not be saved by what you learn through science. It is immaterial in the end, isn't it? Whether you can build an electric car, without the Bible or not? You see that that debate is kind of, kind of neither here nor there. Whether we can learn something about God outside the Bible or not. To some sense, it's neither here nor there. You, can, you, can, you definitely cannot learn enough about God outside of the special revelation that he has given us in the scriptures. You cannot come to God through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, apart from the special revelation, which the writings comprising the Bible are to us. So the Bible contains a subset of all total truth. I put it to you a little more controversially than I had to probably in saying that it's not the whole truth. But it's memorable, right? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The Bible is not the whole truth. It's not, the, it's not all the truth that's out there. But as God breathed infallible revelation right down to the dot and the iota, it is the truth and nothing but the truth. And John is under the assumption that it is necessary truth. That it is necessary truth. Apart from which, you won't know Jesus as the light. 
you'll be hungry not having come to him as the bread of life. You'll be thirsty not having drunk of that water that he gives you. You will not receive the Holy Spirit. You will not believe and not perish, but have everlasting life. Apart from that subset of truth, which is given to us in the writings. Therefore, the fact that there are also many other things that Jesus did, which are not written. The fact that there are many other things that Jesus said, which are not written. The fact that there is scientific knowledge and philosophical knowledge and whatever other kind of knowledge available outside the Bible. It's all kind of neither here nor there. Do you see how precious this book is? And do you see the right response, which is required by what I've said to you today? Though this is not the total body of all truth that is out there, it is the truth and nothing but the truth, and it is necessary truth. So study it. Study it hard. Learn it. As the old uh, Anglicans used to say, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. This is what John wants us to do. Remember, he made it explicit in the end of chapter 20, but it's implicit here at the conclusion of his book. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing that you may have life in his name. Recognize what a precious body of truth we have in the Holy Scriptures, in what John has written, in what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written, in what the other apostles and prophets have written. Recognize what a precious truth we have here. And that the right response is read, mark, learn, inwardly digest, believe. So that by believing you may have life in his name. This study of the Gospel of John has been intellectual in the sense that we've learned some things. But we haven't been on a mere intellectual study. If that's all you think it is... You haven't gleaned all that you should have from our study of this book. You have to move beyond simply now knowing more things. Adding a few more propositions to the number of true propositions that you know. Read, mark, learn, inwardly digest. Believe that by believing, you may have life in his name.